Blog Talk Radio. In 1992, the Food and Drug Administration decided that genetically modified organisms were the functional equivalent of conventional foods. They arrived at this decision without testing GMOs for allergenicity, toxicity, antibiotic resistance, and functional characteristics. The aim of the feed industry is a trillion dollars of profits from royalties every year. And the aim is no farmer should have access to their own feed. The aim is every farmer should be forced into the market every year. All across our country, our people are becoming more and more conscious about the foods that they are eating and the foods that they are serving to their kids. And this is certainly true for genetically engineered foods. Americans have a right to know if their food is genetically engineered. Hello and welcome to Mad Science, the Genetic Crossroad. I am your host, Anna Kavanaugh, and I want to thank you for joining me for a special 25th episode broadcast tonight. We've got a big show, and there's so much to share with you, but first, I would really just like to take a moment to say thank you. Last year, when I first began this show, I really wasn't sure how it would be received, but to those of you who have so kindly listened in live or caught up on the on-demand archived episodes and sent messages and asked questions on the website for the listener's voice segment or reached out to me on Facebook or are following me on Twitter, thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for your support of what I'm working so hard to bring you. And I just really want to say that if this show has served to increase your awareness, to empower and educate you in your choices that you apply in your own lives, or simply has gotten you to start asking your own questions about some of the things I talk about, thank you. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of that journey with you. And we're really all in this together, and you've certainly made me feel that way. So happy holidays to you and to the people you love. Merry, Merry Christmas. May it be bright, and to all of you, I wish you a beautiful and happy and healthy New Year in 2015. So with that, let's get the show started. Now over the course of the show, in various episodes, I've discussed many fascinating yet incredibly disturbing aspects about the biotech industry, agribusiness, and the genetically modified organisms they introduced into our food supply mm, some two decades ago without our consent. I've talked about how the GMO industry has become a global presence fueled by money-driven corporations and backed by governments. It has crept its way not only into the environment and our food supply, but also into the public consciousness. Advertisements, slogans, and justifications devised by the industry have given the perception that GMOs are perfectly harmless, good for us, and are necessary for our survival going forward into the future. There are so many facets to this complicated issue, it's impossible to comprehend it all in one sitting, and it continues to develop and evolve very quickly, making it all the more difficult to keep facts straight. One thing is certain, though. GMOs and the people behind them are impacting the planet in such a way that things cannot be reversed or repaired if they continue to go as badly as many scientists predict. You know, one of the most frightening things about GMOs is that changes seem to be occurring so slowly and so insidiously, most people would never be able to detect or be concerned about what is happening. 
Now, I mentioned this concept in a previous show, comparing it to a slow-cooked frog. In slowly heated water, it will not be aware of the gradual change of temperature until it's too late. The frog is cooked before it ever knew there was a life-threatening situation, even at hand. And the moral of the story there is disconcertingly obvious. What makes the entire GMO invasion particularly disturbing is that it was set in motion by companies making business decisions for the sake of profits. Companies like Monsanto, one of the six kings I've talked so very much about, and who are now the largest transgenic seed producer in the world, Monsanto capitalized on the development of GMO technology, not with the intent to benefit mankind as they may have us believe, but for the growth of their own corporate worth. And friends, boy, let me tell you, grow and expand, they most certainly have. Monsanto now holds an enormous stake in worldwide agribusiness, where their genetically altered seeds are cultivated nearly everywhere on the globe. They have taken agriculture and shaped it into the ultimate business model, allowing them to now stand poised to control all food supplies everywhere. How did this happen? How was this allowed to happen? It is very dangerous and outright irresponsible to intermix business with evolutionary elements that are the fabric of our own health and very existence. But unfortunately, this is exactly what has happened since the 1980s and without the knowledge or consent of us, the consumers. The very subject of genetically modified organisms, GMOs, is convoluted and difficult to follow. It's a game board of sorts with many players and evolving pieces, and this is conveniently used by agribusiness to confuse the masses into believing genetically engineering our food is a perfectly normal and safe process. Farmers are being led to believe that the use of GMOs is in their best interest and is not only a good thing to do, but a necessary one. Now, one of the central claims in the biotech industry is that the use of new gene technologies being developed today will end world hunger in the future. They continuously advertise that crops affected by climate change, along with a growing population expected to reach 9 billion by 2050, will require genetic engineering as the only means for us to survive. Well, how convenient that is, isn't it? For the small handful of corporations dominating biotech agriculture. I want to share with you an excerpt from a Monsanto advertisement stating the goal of doubling food crop yields by 2030. Have a listen. We're committed to helping farmers double yields by 2030. With modern advances in breeding and industry-leading tools that play an important role in bringing improved performance to your fields. With new innovative biotechnology traits, Monsanto is proud to be the industry leader in agricultural innovation because of what these agricultural advancements can do to help you double yield for the future needs of the world. We're dedicated to the future of agriculture and providing farmers with innovations that help them produce more and conserve more while improving the lives of people around the world. Wow. You know, ironically, it's these same companies that are actively helping to create the very conditions they warn about. For instance, green energy processes that require the harvesting and burning of large numbers of trees that must be genetically modified to grow quickly contribute more carbon emissions into the atmosphere than does clean coal. Also, transgenic algae designed to produce biofuels 
release a significant amount of carbon. And according to a recent study done by scientists at Yale University, GMO crops, including the millions of tons of pesticides used on them each year, release staggering amounts of carbon into the atmosphere as well. So basically, through GMO farming methods, soil minerals and microbes are depleted, leading to the natural carbon in soil to become altered, then resulting in the release of stored carbon into the air, where it oxidizes and transforms into carbon dioxide. Now, experts say that this continuous and elevated release into the atmosphere may actually be the primary cause of the disruption of stable climate patterns we're seeing today, as well as being a major contributor to global warming. Now, that's some scary stuff right there. It's really scary. Yet, despite all of this, corporate agribusiness shows no sign of slowing down. They continue to develop new and more radical genetic modification products that quietly and systematically replace naturally existing ones. Now, a really disturbing example I've talked a lot about before is functional foods. These are foods enhanced with some kind of nutrient, vitamin, protein, or other component not naturally found in the food item. Traditionally, these could be fortified cereals or power drinks or protein shakes. However, now the focus is on genetically engineering desired changes instead of just mixing in additional ingredients. And there's a really big difference. Biotech companies attempt to promote these transgenic products as healthy alternatives to natural foods, all in an attempt to counter the already bad and worsening image of GMO. One of the arguments used by these companies is that the food available in many poverty-stricken countries lacks sufficient nutrition and that this is the primary cause of hunger and starvation. But that claim is really mostly false. The actual driving force behind starvation is the abject poverty found in the populations of these countries and with no means to cultivate the land. In reality, it is the inability to purchase even the most basic food items that generates malnutrition, not the food itself. It is a known fact there is already an abundance of food crops to feed all humans and animals on the planet. The perception that it is not enough and so we must therefore grow GMO crops to compensate for the lacking is nothing more than a corporate ploy. I want to share with you the following clip of Eric Holt, the Executive Director of Food First. Have a listen. The mythology that somehow the people of the world are starving because there's not enough food is very strong and has been drummed into it for 30 years now, 40 years. Uh, in fact, there's over one and a half times more food on the planet than we need for every man, woman, and child. Even Joseph Sheehan of the World Food Program admitted at the height of the food crisis that the problem wasn't lack of food. There's plenty of food. People couldn't afford it. So let's take a look at the much-talked-about golden rice, genetically modified to contain boosted levels of beta-carotene. On the surface, it was promoted as a humanitarian effort by corporate biotech to help populations throughout Asia suffering from severe vitamin A deficiency. They said their product would alleviate the problem. But it was reported in Genetic Resource Action International that about half a pound of golden rice only provided 20% of an adult's daily vitamin A requirement. This meant a person would have to consume at least two and a half pounds of the rice each day just to satisfy their vitamin requirement, which is not terribly realistic. According to the Director of Technology for Rural and Ecological Enrichment in Thailand, quote, 
vitamin A deficiency will not be solved by golden rice technology since it does not address the key to the problem of poverty, which is landlessness. These companies are cheating us. If the poor had land, they would have better diets. The poor don't need vitamin A. They need vitamin L. That's vitamin land. And they need vitamin M. That's vitamin money. Malnutrition is because of poverty, not lack of technology. End quote. The International Rice Research Institute reports that as of March 2014, the testing of beta-carotene-enriched golden rice continues in the Philippines, Indonesia, and Bangladesh. Now, associated with functional foods are pharma foods, and that's something else I've talked a great deal about over the course of the series. These are essentially transgenic crops created to produce specific proteins, vaccines, industrial enzymes, and regions. These farm crops, and that's spelled P-H-A-R-M, are grown in open fields and are then harvested to extract whichever pharmaceutical is being sought. The reason farm crops are so popular is because mass production of a drug or vaccine can be accomplished in much greater quantity and for much less cost. Overall, it makes more business sense to mass produce by the bushel in a field than buy the beakerful in a lab. But the risks are enormous. For example, the chances of cross-contamination to other crops intended for food production is statistically a certainty. At present, no company has a commercial permit to actually grow and market these types of crops, yet two are already being commercially sold. How is this happening? Well, unbelievably, the companies responsible for this are hiding their actions behind a research permit provided to them by the USDA. It just so happens that with this type of permit, chemicals and field locations can be kept secret. It is estimated there are over 300 experimental field trial sites performing tests on growing pharmaceuticals. Some of these include edible hepatitis vaccines, AIDS virus proteins, birth control, cancer therapy chemicals, and blood clotting agents, among many others. Talk about playing the system. But this is how agribusiness, agropharma, and our own government, the very protective agencies put in place to keep us safe, seem to operate. I'd like you to have a listen to researcher Melissa Melton as she comments on the lack of transparency when it comes to GM pharma foods. Our government has funded research in everything from vaccines carried in foods such as bananas and tomatoes to edible contraceptives. This kind of technology has widespread implications and the regulation on testing of these pharma crops is just not as stringent as you might think. How can we trust our government to protect us from these pharma crops when they won't even allow us the transparency of knowing if genetically modified organisms are in our food? That's a very good question. At present, farm crops are still in the pre-market trial phase, but not for much longer. With an expedited approval process in place, it's not a matter of if, but when they will hit the market. And this brings me to a troubling thought. There are safety regulations in place to protect consumers from harm. Why then are these allowed to be bypassed for the sole reason of allowing corporations to make profits? The prevailing modus operandi in the biotech industry seems to be running in reverse. That is, instead of waiting to test their products for safety before giving them to consumers, they secretly slip them into the population anyway. And later on, if nothing bad happens, then they can make the we-told-you-it-was-safe argument. 
And as just one example, this type of approach was done by a biotech company developing GMO mosquitoes. Now, their idea was to breed swarms of GMO mosquitoes to reduce normal populations and curb the spread of disease. So, in 2009, they secretly released 3.3 million of their GM bugs into the Cayman Islands without the approval or consent of the local people. Fortunately, the release did not harm anyone and appeared to be successful. But the company then hurried to publish the results of their experiment with the aim of attracting buyers to their technology. And this resulted in an uproar from environmental groups claiming they essentially rolled the dice without consideration for the potential threat to public health, which is really pretty much what they did. But despite this, the whole affair caught the attention of Malaysia and Brazil, among others, and, unfortunately, they decided to invest in the GMO mosquito. The we-told-you-so argument is springing up all over when it comes to GMOs. Companies are now reasoning that GMO products must be safe because they've been mass-consumed without people's knowledge for more than a decade now and with no apparent cataclysmic effect. Well, this claim is inaccurate, however, for a couple of fundamental reasons. Based on extensive independent research concerning the projected long-term effects of eating GMOs, serious health consequences are not seen until later generations. This means that even though we're not seeing widespread death from eating GM foods now, it does not mean our grandchildren will be so lucky. According to the research, GMOs and the pesticides used with them may take years of accumulating in the body before reaching a flashpoint. And to say no adverse health issues are happening today as a result of GM foods is just plain short-sighted. One example to back this up is research showing a very strong correlation between the usage of glyphosate pesticides and autism birth rates. A recent MIT study shows a sharp increase in autism of nearly 80% since the industrialization of GM crops using glyphosate-based pesticides. Although correlation does not mean causation, statistically speaking, the data is screaming there is an undeniable link here. Glyphosate is the most applied pesticide component in the world and is used extensively with GM crops. Biotech companies like Monsanto continue to defend that glyphosate is completely benign. After all, they are responsible for its creation in the lab and trumpet its safety, just as they did with PCBs and Agent Orange. But the numbers, they aren't lying. If glyphosate usage continues to increase as predicted, we can expect to see autism cases go from 1 in 68, as we see today, to 1 in 2 by 2025 or sooner. There are also strong indications that the rise in gastrointestinal problems, including cancer, is linked to glyphosate. Despite Monsanto's claims that glyphosate is biodegradable and harmless, why is it present in the breast milk of more American mothers than in any other country, and in such high quantities? The glyphosate detected in American mothers is approximately 760 to 1,600 times the allowable limits in European drinking water. And urine testing shows Americans in general have 10 times the glyphosate accumulation in their bodies as Europeans. It is dumbfounding to realize that American citizens have been the guinea pigs for GMOs for years. And even now that awareness is being raised, food companies continue to aggressively push their trans food products. 
Now, one of the biggest movements coming out of this raising of awareness has been the GMO labeling issue. I'd like you to listen to the logic of Dr. Andrew Weil, a medical doctor and health advisor, about labeling. And at the very least, we ought to know if foods have been genetically modified so we have the option whether we buy them or not. And it is absolutely appalling to me that Monsanto could convince a a majority of voters in California to vote against labeling of GMO foods, somehow thinking that this is going to hurt the California economy. I mean, how possibly could you object to putting information on foods? And what do they have to hide that they don't want people to buy their foods? So I think at the very least we should press for labeling of genetically modified foods. And we have to hope that the people doing this are thinking through those downstream consequences, and the chances are they aren't. They're just looking at immediate profits. So I think it's an area to be concerned about. The GMO awareness movement has been gaining huge momentum, as have labeling legislation efforts in several individual states. But, and I hate to be the bearer of bad news, I really do, unfortunately and not surprisingly, beneath all the uproar, beneath all, you know, all the activism and all the voting over GMO labeling, Biotech and agribusiness are busy trying to stay one step ahead and have already been researching and developing new methods of genetic engineering that technically render the labeling debate a moot point. What I'm talking about here is genome editing. Now, this is very different from GMOs as we've come to know them, and it is precisely how they are gearing up to skirt around the inevitable labeling requirements they will come to face. With genome editing, they will be able to slide by the slim margins of how GMOs are currently defined. And that is incredibly frightening and disheartening. To understand this a little better, let's sort of take a walk down memory lane. We can see, looking back just two decades, that science took a quantum leap with the discovery of restriction enzymes. These biological wonders made it possible to break apart strands of DNA at certain locations and glue them back together again at other locations. And this was the genesis of GMO technology because with it, sections of DNA from different species could be mixed and spliced together to create unusual effects. This was so revolutionary that it caught the attention of huge corporations like Monsanto, who of course saw dollar signs in the potential applications for its use in agriculture. They essentially forced plants and animals to to take on certain characteristics that would otherwise be impossible if left to natural evolution. For example, they could now take genes from completely different species, such as scorpions and fish, and splice them into plants to create pesticide or be tolerant to colder temperatures. Because of changes made to its fundamental DNA, the plant or animal was now technically categorized as a genetically modified organism otherwise known as a GMO. There were a couple of problems with the techniques to create GMOs, though. Number one, cutting and splicing DNA with restriction enzymes is not a reliable and accurate method. This alone introduces the possibility of having unanticipated mutations occur. And number two, it costs millions of dollars to develop any GMO product. But this just brings us all the way back around again to genome editing. You see, whereas GMOs are made by Frankensteining different sections of DNA together, much like inserting pages from completely different books, GEOs, genetically edited organisms, 
are created by the latest techniques using CRISPR technology, which can precisely make desired changes directly to the existing DNA at the base pair level. The analogy here would be directly editing misspelled words in an existing book down to the letter. With gene editing, there is no need to insert foreign DNA. You simply change what is already there. And here is the rub to all of us. Because gene editing does not insert foreign material, by definition, it does not technically fall within the category of GMO. Essentially then, using gene editing techniques, biotech corporations like Monsanto, Dow, Syngenta, and others could engineer plant genomes to achieve the same outcomes they are getting now with GMOs, but at much less expense and bypassing any need to label something as a GMO. What I'm saying is this. These companies can continue altering our food supply as they have been doing for years, but now they won't have to carry the stigma of being GMO. This is already happening. A gene editing company called Precision Biosciences, Inc. is currently working with Syngenta to edit corn genomes. They are also helping Bayer Crop Science and BASF to revamp their product lines and DuPont Pioneer to engineer sterile corn. Another gene editing company known as Sangamo Biosciences has been working exclusively with Dow AgroScience on several agricultural product lines. And, of course, Monsanto has already been using the technology for its own product lines in the form of Talens, another gene editing tool. That's all six biotech giants, the six kings, using genome editing technology. Should we be surprised? Of course not. Biotech is continuously evolving, and it's foolish to expect that everything will stop at GMO. These companies have already been moving to the next evolution, while activists are focusing their energies on an issue that is quickly becoming obsolete. Unfortunately, by the time the battle for labeling is won, and I believe it will be, it will not matter to these companies. They will have evolved. They're in the process of doing it now. Now it's through the use of genome editing, companies are looking to create what are called gene drives. This is the forcing of gene expressions that affect entire species populations. Instead of genetically engineering an organism to have a desired characteristic in one generation, gene drives are designed to become a part of the species genome permanently. This means genes modified in the lab through editing techniques will drive traits through generations, essentially controlling the evolution of a species. Gene drives are already being considered for use in mosquito populations to control the spreading of disease. On the surface, eradicating disease sounds like a great idea, but unlike what I mentioned earlier in the show where a batch of GM mosquitoes were released into the wild uh, to control the population for a season, the gene drive idea takes it to the next step so that the trait will continue propagating season after season. This may be successful in eradicating a disease-spreading mosquito, but in the process, it could very likely create irreversible damage to surrounding ecosystems, giving rise to problems we could never anticipate. We simply do not know the long-term effects this will have. Right now, executives in biotech companies are making decisions on which traits they feel are most important to become permanent in the genomes of the plants and animals in their product lines. 
these are short-sighted, short-term, profit-driven decisions based just on business. And what's more is they are justified and approved by scientists, research universities, and government agencies who all share a financial interest in these same short-term decisions. And that's really, really scary. We are caught in a vicious cycle that is only beginning to reveal itself. Because of the decisions made by company executives, unforeseen irreversible damage is being made to the biosphere. And so the only solution then becomes more genetic engineering attempting to fix the problems that genetic engineering created, which then only goes on to create more. And the cycle repeats. A prime example is the severe decline in pollinator populations such as honeybees and butterflies due to industrialized biotech agriculture. Although agribusiness proponents argue against GMO-related pesticides being the cause, the latest data shows indisputable correlations. In fact, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service has called for a complete ban of neonic pesticides by 2016 because of the obvious impacts they are having. Yet biotech companies insist they can solve the problem by creating genetically modified pollinators that would be impervious to these chemicals, just as they have done with transgenic food crops tolerant to certain pesticides. But the transgenic crop practice has turned out to be a flop. Now, new generations of superweeds have become tolerant to GM herbicides. The biotech solution? Increase the amount of chemicals already dousing plants or genetically modify them to be tolerant to even more toxic chemicals. Like I said, this is a vicious, vicious cycle, folks. And to apply the same ideology to our pollinators or other biological systems, uh, to me, is pure insanity. And this is not activism. This, this is not activist speak. That's, that's really not me. This is, this is simply common sense. The audacity for business executives to manipulate the biosphere for the sake of profits it is, is bizarre. Yet, that is exactly what has been happening for years and is going to continue to happen, unfortunately. One of the reasons for this has been the endorsement by our own government. The FDA, USDA, and EPA protective agencies put in place to keep us safe are all intimately involved in the regulation and approval processes dealing with GM biotech products. How seriously can we take them when their ranks are filled with former agribusiness and biotech personnel? Perhaps the greatest irony is that the policies and regulations created in these agencies are crafted by the very people benefiting from them, regardless of safety concerns. Years ago, the FDA and EPA approved the use of glyphosate, produced by Monsanto under the name Roundup. But now that glyphosate has become less effective in fighting crop weeds, agribusiness companies are pushing for other chemical alternatives in order to maintain global dominance. Just last month, Dow AgriSciences received approval from the USDA to go ahead with a new transgenic product line named Enlist which is designed to be tolerant to the highly toxic chemical 2,4-D. Monsanto is also expected to receive approval next year to sell GM crops tolerant to the chemical dicamba. These pesticides have been shown to be very damaging to the environment. 2,4-D is actually a component of the defoliant Agent Orange, a notorious carcinogen also responsible for extreme birth defects, 
passing through generations. Dicamba is not much better and stays in the environment. These chemicals will accumulate through time, never breaking down, and will cause so much harm to consumers. Have a listen to Ohio Congressman Dennis Kucinich as he talks about resistant weeds and the deregulation of herbicides despite their toxicity and long-term ineffectiveness. Chemical industry giants such as Dow, BASF, and uh, Sagenta are plowing forward with new varieties of soy, corn, and cotton. They're already asking USDA to deregulate seed varieties that have been genetically engineered to tolerate their own herbicides. In fact, the evolution of Roundup-resistant weeds, while a problem for Monsanto, has been an opportunity for other large chemical companies. The immediate consequences of the deregulation and planting of these multiple herbicide-tolerant crops will be the increase in use of more toxic herbicides. Dicamba and 2,4-D are more toxic than Roundup, and their increased use can only be regarded as a setback for sustainable agriculture. If Roundup-resistant weeds evolved in only 10 years, could multiple herbicide-resistant weeds be far away? Until now, the USDA has deregulated without condition every herbicide-resistant seed variety that industry has produced. Will that pattern continue in the future? There is really no doubt the pattern will continue. This has become the next step in the GM vicious cycle, begging the question, what happens when 2,4-D and dicamba become ineffective? Will the USDA approve the use of dioxins, the most toxic chemicals known to man? It's pretty difficult to feel safe and confident with our federal protective agencies when they are so willing to go along with agribusiness to the point they, they become partners in business. It's not so well known that these agencies apply for and share in patents with private corporations. Just last year, the Agricultural Research Service, which is the arm of the USDA that handles patents and research, reported an income of almost $3.5 million resulting from holding patents. Apparently, the conflicts of interest have become so large and so obvious, they have now become the standard operating procedure, and more approvals are on the way in a variety of forms. Developing technologies are driving toward dangerous ends, and the evolution of tampering with DNA will continue on. The questions are, how long will we as collective consumers tolerate what is going on? And how will we collectively deal with the ramifications if we remain complacent? GMO and beyond. I'm afraid it's here to stay in all its evolving forms. And unless drastic measures and massive policy reform were to take place right now, it's safe to say we've reached the point of no return. There's, of course, so much more to talk about, but this is where we end the conversation for 2014, my friends. We'll pick it up again after the new year. You can visit the website at www.geneticcrossroadradio.com to stay up to date on new shows scheduled and, of course, keep tabs on the show through Facebook and Twitter. Um, thank you again for listening to Mad Science, The Genetic Crossroad, and Merry Christmas to you all and the happiest, healthiest of New Year's.